welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. We're going to talk today about the movie that is out right now called The Jesus Revolution, and it's uh, making a lot of waves in the Christian world, mostly positive waves, and I'm mostly positive about the movie. I think you should go see it. I think they did a great job uh, historically on representing what took place in the formation of Calvary Chapel. I think it's an inspiring story, uh, with the moral being that God uses sinful people. I think uh, that uh, there are some things, um, lessons being learned that we need to talk about, but overall I'd say that it, it's worth your time. It's clean. Uh, so I saw this the other day with my wife. It was a little bit delayed because uh, we've been traveling, and I wanted to see it when it first came out so I could give you a podcast early on, but I guess the advantage now is that a lot of other people have weighed in. There's been a lot of reviews, and so not only are we going to talk about the movie, but I want to talk about some of the things that I've read in the reviews, which gives you the impression uh, of it lets you know what people are taking away from the movie. And I actually have a greater concern, I think, about that than I do about the movie itself. But we'll talk about both. So we'll talk about the movie, and then we're going to talk about uh, the reaction to it. Or the, and, and really, I, I guess I could put that under the heading of the movement. So there's the movie, and then there's the movement, the Jesus Revolution movement. And uh, the director was pretty expressive in an interview saying he, he wants to kickstart another one of those things if possible. He'd love to see another Jesus revolution. And that's where I say, I don't know if I want to see that. I don't think I do. And I'll, I'll explain to you why uh, as we move into the episode here. But before we get started with all that, I want to share with you about Ridge Runner. Ridge Runner is a sponsor for this podcast. You can go to RidgeRunnerUSA.com, RidgeRunnerUSA.com. And uh, if you haven't noticed, the economy is not doing that great. We have inflation, we have rising interest rates, and you're going to want to have investments in tangible assets, uh, precious metals, uh, maybe vehicles. Um, property is certainly one of those things. And this isn't for everyone, but for those of you who maybe work from home or are looking for uh, a good retirement uh, place to, to um, or, or if you're a snowbird even maybe, uh, you're looking for a place to go, if you're looking for a place to escape from if you're in a blue state, uh, check out RidgeRunnerUSA.com. They have some beautiful property right on the uh, Cumberland River. And uh, I, uh, since I like fishing, I'm looking forward to visiting this. But here's some of the photos. Uh, land that parallels the river. That goes right out to the Mississippi and right out to the ocean. They have very reasonable prices. Kentucky has not seen the property uh, increases in, in, in property price like uh, some of the other states where people from California and New York are fleeing to, like Tennessee and Texas and Idaho. So uh, you, you might want to check that out. And uh, if you do go to RidgeRunnerUSA.com and check out their properties, let them know that we sent you. Let them know that you heard about it on the Conversations That Matter podcast. That'll definitely help me out. So I appreciate uh, their, their sponsorship. I appreciate those of you who are interested. And let me know. I mean, I want to give products and uh, services that help people. Uh, I want to let you know about those things on this podcast. So if if this helps anyone, if there's already stories of people that uh, their lives have changed uh, because of a location move and it's due to Ridge Runner USA, I would love to know about it. So let me know uh, and we will go from there. All right, well, let's get into the topic for this particular podcast. We're going to talk about the movie, The Jesus Revolution. And uh, I said I would talk about the movie first and then we would talk about the movement. So let's start there. And then these two categories can't be totally separate, but we'll let me just let you know how the movie affected me. Um, I think most Christian movies, there's a template for them, have a 
moment about maybe two-thirds, three-quarters through the movie where there's a very come-to-Jesus moment. It's an altar call moment, and it rips you out of the story generally. You're focusing on these characters. You're trying to understand a plot line, and the more creative producers try to make it part of the movie, but it doesn't always feel natural. And I think there's some people that have come to expect that. I saw that in some of the reviews that there should have been more of a gospel presentation. I'm actually one who thinks that it's not necessary. It's good to have a, a strong gospel presentation. And if, the, if your purpose is evangelism, you definitely need that. I don't think it's necessary, though, in a movie that's about Christian themes or about um, things that happen in Christian history to always make that the focus. The focus of this movie wasn't the gospel, okay? So you just you need to go in understanding that. Set your expectations accordingly. The focus of the movie is the characters involved. So that would be Lonnie Frisbee, that would be uh, Chuck uh, Smith, that would be Greg Laurie. Those are the three main ones. And in all three cases, each person had a different weakness, barrier, something that was lacking in them, and God used them anyway. And that's the moral of the story. Now, some have said that Lonnie Frisbee died in his sins. He returned to homosexuality. He uh, was not a Christian. He was a false teacher. And that may be true to some extent. And uh, the movie doesn't go into all that. It only shows his contribution to sparking or helping the Calvary Chapel movement in its beginning stages. And I would say to that that even someone who's not saved, someone like a pharaoh, can be used by God. And I think the moral lesson at least holds there, that uh, even if that's going to be used on the day of judgment against Lonnie Frisbee, that he had he, he did all these works in the name of Christ, as Jesus says, uh, but he never, uh, Christ never knew him, that they're, they're, the fruit is not due to Lonnie Frisbee, it's due to the Lord. And the Lord using... Uh, not just flawed, but but uh, sinful uh, humans. Now, in the case of Chuck Smith and the case of um, Greg Laurie, he's using people who have made a profession, who have shown through their life that this is a legitimate profession, that uh, have uh, done great work for God, and yet they had barriers. They had hang-ups. They had things that held them back. And uh, Chuck, there's a humility you see in the movie from Chuck Smith, uh, his character, that he doesn't always know what the right way to go is. And he admits that he has these limitations, and he makes mistakes. And uh, you see the same thing with Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie, of course, has the hang-up of uh, not having a dad present in his life, in the early stages of his life, and, and having identity issues related to that. And then he overcomes those things, and, and he is used by God very mightily. And so I think that those two things—and again, I'm not saying either of those individuals' theology was perfect, or I, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying they, they had issues. Um, but— they were used by the Lord to save individual souls from judgment. And that is worth celebrating. It's worth highlighting. It's worth uh, watching a movie about. And I think that's the focus of the movie. So the gospel is in the movie, but it is very short. It is a very brief. It's during a baptism. Lonnie Frisbee talks about repentance and faith in Christ and the importance of that. And that's pretty much it. So there is good news. Uh, but does it go into the full... Uh, the full depths of talking about how evil we are apart from Christ and God's law, not really. It assumes those things, and I think for the story, though, that's probably necessary if you're going to tell it accurately. Uh, that's that's what happened, and that's, I think, what the directors were trying to do is to show what happened. 
Um, I'm going to share with you some quotes from the movie, and that will, I think, be the bridge to start talking about the movement itself. So here's a, a very telling quote. It's supposed to be profound in the movie. This is when Lonnie Frisbee sits down with Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith is a square. He's, in other words, someone who isn't with it, doesn't understand the hippie movement. Of course, the hippie movement, countercultural, anti-institution, anti-middle class standards, uh, and really, I would say, influenced by the new left. It, it was a uh, movement that wanted to throw standards out. And that was, it was part of rebellion. It was um, it, more than just even the drug culture and the free sexual uh, culture that they, that they supposedly said it was free. They, they had a uh, penchant for socialism, for radical ideas, for Eastern mysticism. And, and that was already going on when the Jesus movement started. Some, some would say that the Jesus movement predated this, depending on which lane you try to trace back and say, this is the Jesus movement, I, I would favor that the Jesus movement started in San Francisco Bay Area in 1967-ish, 1968. That's, that's when you start to see actual Jesus movement. So hippies that are following this Jesus, and as the uh, article in Time Magazine said, the psychedelic Jesus. And you have to ask yourself, is this the same Jesus for a lot of these guys? But anyway, I'm getting into the movement now. Anyway, uh, Frisbee, who is one of these Jesus people, comes to Chuck Smith, who's a square, who doesn't understand all of what's going on with the hippies. And he sits down with them, and Chuck Smith at the time is, you know, suit and tie. He's got a church that's more traditional. Uh, they do traditional songs, and they, uh, the traditional sermon, traditional dress. And he says to him this, there's an entire generation searching for God. Now, I'm going to stop there in the quote. You have to ask yourself, is that true? Is that theologically true? Now, Lonnie Frisbee may have said this, so this may be part of the story, but is that actually true theologically? Uh, a bunch of kids searching for all the right things in all the wrong places. So are all these hippies on drugs, and in the context he's talking about sex and drugs mostly, are they searching for God in that, or are they searching for something else? Have they been maybe robbed of, or are they, they're missing out on things that would confer identity and a place of belonging, and now... Uh, or they've rejected those things, and now they're searching for substitutes for them in other places. That's, pro that's more likely what's happening, but in so doing, uh, are they deep down looking for God? God may fulfill some of those things, uh, but does that mean that th that's who they're actually looking for without knowing it? And I would submit to you no, because if it's the true God of the Bible, there's going to be judgment for sin. And robbers, you know, criminals don't want to find police officers. Uh, they want to find fulfillment, and maybe there's fulfillment in keeping the law and uh, being a productive member of society to some extent. But that's they're they're looking for uh, they're looking for something else. And I think if you understand how evil our hearts actually are, uh, apart from Christ, then you're not going to say what Lonnie Frisbee says here. You're going to say, no, I wasn't searching for God. I was. I was going the opposite direction, and God found me anyway. If he truly did a work to help someone um, repent of their sins, to, to make someone repent of their sins and put their trust in Christ. So, uh, Lonnie Frisbee continues. He says, uh, so these kids are searching for all the right things in all the wrong places. The trouble is, he says to Chuck Smith, your people, so the traditional Christians, reject them. 
We can only walk through the door, not open to us, and your church, well, that's one that's shut. Now, this is convoluted. This is not true. Now, maybe in the circumstance, Chuck Smith's church, well, there, there were th- really two major things that might have been barriers. One is the attitude of some of the members, and that's legitimate, okay? So maybe there there is a sense in which Lonnie Frisbee's correct here that the door is shut because who wants to go to a church and be around people that are uh, not just judging you, but they're condemning you, and they're, they don't see hope for you, and they don't want to be in the same building with you, and they think themselves much better than you, which is ridiculous. If you wear a suit and tie and uh, sing traditional songs, it doesn't make you better than someone or more spiritual necessarily uh, just because of those things, those outward things, than someone else who is brand new to the faith and figuring things out, right? So that could be a barrier. Let's just say that's legitimate. But here's the other thing, and I think this is the thing um, that's—you see it throughout the film where Chuck Smith has a suit on, and then by the end he's got a Hawaiian shirt, and he's more casual. And they change their music around, and they have a a band that comes with uh, people that are still even in drug rehab playing in the band— and much more simple songs, and uh, this is presented as what, what's necessary. They don't say it in the film, but that's the way a lot of people are taking it. This is what's necessary to reach out to the rebels and the outcasts. You have to change everything to conform to them, and so instead of them coming in as sinners, humbled by the fact that they're sinful uh, and they need Christ, instead of them coming in and then conforming themselves to the, the church— and the, the way that the church is functioning, where hopefully godly and wise men have uh, set the tone as far as even dress and style, even things that are aesthetic, they don't do that. They come in expecting the church to conform to them and cater to them. So they want a pastor who's going to be more casual. They want music that's going to be more like the popular music they listen to. And um, that is actually an arrogance, too. And you have to understand that. That is a pride, uh, too, because it assumes a superiority of this more casual, rebellious culture, and it doesn't take into account the wisdom of the ages, those who uh, have, over the course of centuries even, uh, given us songs, and uh, to some extent even the way we dress. Uh, it's, it's the men who are wise, who have been saturated in the Word of God, who have um, been uh, had experiences with walking with Christ through difficult times, who have shaped the way that the church is to some extent. They've given us the uh, the traditions and some of the culture that's there. And so is uh, necessarily having hymns something that's biblical or not biblical? Well, I mean, technically it's, it's not something that is... Traditional hymns are not in Scripture, obviously. They're not commanded. Uh, singing hymns, spiritual songs, etc., are, but uh, but hymns themselves, in the way that we think of hymns, not necessarily. But what, what are hymns? Hymns are the songs that have been significant to the church over the course of time, and that's not something to just throw out, um, casually at least. It's not something to just take for granted and arbitrarily discard. Those are things that are important uh, to uh, cherish and value because that's wisdom. It's, 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 so it's a, on a scale of uh, foolish and wisdom. It's not on a scale of right and wrong, I think, necessarily. Uh, dress is the same thing. Uh, what are the reasons behind the dress? Well, hopefully... Uh, wanting to give God our best, wanting to uh, make sure that we're not we're not a distraction to our neighbor as we are worshiping God, right? These are th- principles; they're not rules. I'm not being a legalist, but these are principles, right? So 
I, I think there's there's room here. Uh, in fact, the tone today is very much like Calvary Chapel 1971. So no matter what church you go into almost, it's going to be casual compared to the standards that used to exist. Uh, pastors aren't wearing suits hardly anymore. They're not even using pulpits in many cases. Uh, and, and pulpits used to signify the preeminence of the Word of God, but I think uh, they served as a barrier in the minds of some of the Jesus Revolution people and, and uh, so, so that's not even used. You don't want any barrier between the person presenting and then those in the audience. Um, there's a lot of things that have changed. Some for uh, some, there's some positive things about. Uh, I don't think it's wrong to not use a pulpit. There's no there's no directive in scripture, but you you do want to think through things and um, take into account. Well, why are there pulpits? Why why do we dress this way? Why do Christians dress this way? And once you answer those questions, hopefully you can see reasoning behind them and that it's not arbitrary. Uh, when it becomes stale tradition, and it is arbitrary, and people don't remember the reasons, that's when I think churches are ripe for having their cultures completely changed, if you're their styles, if you will. And the evangelical church tends to reinvent itself every 10 years. Uh, the, ca- the casual approach has, has still been there for a long time, but I think uh, every 10 years, it seems like it's a different—it's it's lagging the world styles, but it's like a different style, different songs— um, a lot of rebrandings going on out there in general. Uh, and anyway, the, the movie, I think, a lot of, the lesson a lot of people taking, are taking from the movie is that we need to rebrand. We need another rebrand, and that's going to spark the Jesus Revolution. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case, and I don't think that's the genius of Calvary Chapel. So I'm pulling a different lesson from this film than the, uh, than the film is promoting, or at least people that are influenced by the film are promoting. Um, the lesson that they seem to want to pull is that it's time to conform to the rebels. It's time to welcome them in, and that means changing some things. It's it, That's how we kickstart the Jesus Revolution. And I would submit to you the genius of Calvary Chapel, and I'm going to demonstrate this in a moment, is that they actually did not do those things. Now, they did them to an extent. They did. They, they went thus far and no farther. Chuck Smith never looked like a hippie, right? He, he just went a little more casual. Uh, they had to get a tent because they didn't. The traditional church setting was too small. The building they had, so they got a tent. Uh, they did baptisms by the beach. So a lot of this was scale problems that they had, and they had. And they, these were the solutions to them. It wasn't intentionally trying to invent a new style. It was just we have a lot of people. We can't fit them in our building when they need to be baptized. So let's go down to the ocean. Let's have a tent. Um, the music. Uh, that was brought in. Um, maybe the the main thing that you could say maybe Calvary somewhat contributed. This was in the water at the time, though it wasn't unique to Calvary Chapel, and and that may be true. Now that's just universal. The, the Jesus music, uh, as they called it in the '70s, is pretty has influenced the Christian musical industry. To and now we have uh, corporate institutional Christian music, which is exactly the opposite of what they were trying to create. They didn't want institutionalization. They didn't want institutional religion. They didn't, they didn't want that kind of organization, but the genius of Calvary was they brought that organization. So in a, in a sense, Calvary Chapel defeated the Jesus movement at their church. The, the Jesus people came, and they did not get to control things. You see that with the showdown between Chuck Smith and Lonnie Frisbee to some extent. They, there was a split, and it was those who held to traditional beliefs in the Bible that prevailed, and even the house movement they had, which was communes, ended up getting disbanded, and uh, eventually, and, and not it, and not that the, the communes, um, and it's hard with Calvary especially, because it's not exactly like everything they were doing was 
communal living in the sense that other Jesus people groups uh, were doing communal living. But they, they did have a ministry that was uh, these the house ministry is what they called it. And um, what happened, though, is that the people in those houses, the hippies, they ended up getting jobs, getting shaved, cutting their hair, going to work, being responsible, having children, and they had to leave those particular communes or houses. And they kept going to church, though. And so Calvary Chapel retained the people who were truly saved. And that's the genius, is that Chuck Smith kept the Word of God as the focus, and people actually did get saved. And when they actually did get saved, there was a staying power to the movement, and it became institutionalized. And that's the opposite of what the Jesus People movement was about originally, which was uh, anti-institutionalization, trying to find this authentic Jesus and this authentic Christianity that was not present in churches, supposedly. Uh, and, and and it was very organic in that sense, and it was very communal, and it was uh, trying to be like Acts 2 and share all things in common and be in the same communes together. And uh, the other places where this was happening ended up disintegrating. When, once people grew up, uh, it, it didn't work anymore. And I want to show you some of that, uh, some, some of where I'm getting some of this, because... Um, there's a reason that I'm saying these things, and uh, I had to do some study on this for the book uh, called Christianity, and or not, not Christianity, Social Justice, sorry, that's my second book. Social Justice Goes to Church is the book. Social Justice Goes to Church, The New Left of Modern American Evangelicalism. And in particular, I had to study a group called the Christian World Liberation Front in San Francisco uh, area. It was, Sharon Gallagher was the one who was the leader of that. And it was, uh, they were avowed socialists, really. I mean, they were radical left, but also supposedly Christian in their thinking. And they, and they it's interesting because they, they love Mark Hatfield, but they love Francis Schaeffer. They, they had this politically left, but we're going to keep conservative Christianity and conservative in the sense that we respect the Bible. And isn't that not what we're seeing today? Well, that's why I had to write about them in the book, and that's why I had to cover the Jesus movement, people movement, to some extent, because a lot of the new left socialist ideas came in on the Jesus people movement. Well, I want to show you one thing from the Times article uh, that the Time article that that is promoted in in the documentary, or the, not the documentary, the movie Jesus Revolution, and it's presented this way in the movie. It's presented that this reporter comes and observes Calvary Chapel doing these baptisms and then writes an article about it. And Chuck Smith's holding the article and says, they, they did a pretty good article. And you assume that it's about them. It's not. This is the actual article from Time Magazine, and the title of it is and The Alternative Jesus, Psychedelic Christ. So psychedelic drugs, right? Psychedelic Christ. That's the actual article. If you read this article, you're going to find it talks about all kinds of things. It talks about charismatic Catholics. It talks about, uh, or or Pentecostal Catholics, I guess. It talks about uh, more traditional groups like Campus Crusade. It talks about the Jesus people, and that's mostly what it's about is the Jesus people. Um, It talks about drug culture, because that's the language that was used by the Jesus people, that uh, try Jesus like you would try a drug. And so uh, this is... This is what the article is about. Now, they highlight several groups in here, several groups. Let let me first read for you this. The movement is um, apart from rather than against established religion. Converts often speak disparagingly of the blandness or hypocrisy of their former churches, but others work comfortably 
as a supplementary revitalizing force of change from within the movement in fact is one of considerable flexibility and vitality drawing from three vigorous spiritual streams that despite differences in dress manner and theology effectively reinforce one another so it's taking a very broad approach and it has these three groups the jesus people the straight people that's like campus crusade and the catholic pentecostals which you have to scratch your head if that's the movement then uh how christian is this really they're taking such a broad approach but that's what you'd expect from time now when they talk about these jesus people groups they're talking about the christian world liberation front here's the first one they're talking about uh, unspoken washington the voice of elijah is another group. They're talking about uh, all kinds of groups in here. And Calvary Chapel is one tiny paragraph. They talk about churches that have tried to adopt some of this, like First Baptist Church in Houston, um, Chicago's Grand Grant Park uh, Banshell Street Evangelist, uh, Arthur Blessed, and what Arthur Blessed was doing. And there, So there's all this stuff. Here's the one paragraph on Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel. There it is. Uh, and it goes into the next page, and that's it of the, of the whole article. It was not the, the Jesus movement cannot be boiled down to Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel is the best iteration of the Jesus movement for Christians because it had staying power, and it was, I think, legitimately Christian. <laughs> they actually had the Bible. They actually were helping these hippies come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Whereas a lot of these other groups, there, there's David Wilkerson has uh, there's an interview of him on line where he's talking to these. Uh, Jesus people, and they're taught they're they're saying things like, uh, "Let's read Revelation while we're on LSD and figure out what it means." And and he's confronting them on it. Those were Jesus people, right? Jesus people were all over the country. It started in the West Coast, but it was this communal living, and it, a lot of the coffee shop stuff started there. I was actually surprised to learn that because in college ministries we, we would have these coffee shop events, and I'm like, "What is this? this? Is unique to us? Why do we do this?" And then I was reading about it. Oh, that started in the 70s or really the 60s. The, the coffee shop thing. Um, you could even trace that back to the beatniks, I suppose, in the 50s. But the Jesus people particularly loved the coffee shop. Uh, and that means going up and doing like, usually it was like a talent show, but but people would bring their guitars or sing a song, uh, do a poem, uh, recite that. And, uh, and they would be on the theme of Christianity in, to some extent. So that was the, the coffee shop thing. And then, uh, and then it was... Uh, the the communities that they form these communes and these are communes in the sense of like you know think transcendentalist communes of the northeast the oneonda community now not exactly like that because a lot of them had rules like you couldn't be on drugs you couldn't have premarital sex others though didn't have these same rules and and so it was so broad it was so varied and it obviously didn't last and w one of the reasons it didn't last was because people tend to grow up. And that's what I want to um, to read for you right now. This is from a book called God's Forever Family, which I had to read a few years ago, and it's all about the Jesus People movement. It's probably one of the most comprehensive, best books on this subject. And uh, there's, there's a few different quotes I want to share with you. Uh, one is this. Uh, it, they ask the question, what happened to the Jesus People movement? And it says, in many ways, the transition uh, from from Jesus people to new homes, jobs, careers, families, etc. The transition was similar to that of a, any group of young adults who began to leave the ethos of institutions of youth culture behind as they settle into the adult world. So in other words, that's what happened to the Jesus people. They just grew up. When they grew up and had to take responsibility, they could no longer live the way that they were living. Now, when it comes to Calvary Chapel, the book says, by the end of the 20th century, both Calvary Chapel and its offspring, the Vineyard, 
have become major forces within American evangelicalism. Although these denominational denominations had lost their overt identification as Jesus people churches. Like many other aspects of contemporary American evangelicalism, they owed much of their style to the Jesus movement. Now, that is very telling right there. What it's saying is that these organizations, Calvary Chapel and in the Vineyard, the uh, spin-off denomination, I guess, I don't know, that's how they're presenting it, they institutionalized, they were able to retain the membership of those who did grow up and got jobs, etc. And um, they, they were just, they kept a little bit of a flavor, but that's all they kept. That was it. Everything else changed. So th that's the genius behind Calvary Chapel in part is that's why we remember them. That's why they're still around. That's why there's staying power there when there wasn't with these other movements. Now, I, I told you that in the Time article, uh, which was presented in the movie as being about Calvary, it's, it's only one little paragraph about Calvary. Uh, I watched a documentary from the British Broadcasting Network from 1971 about the Jesus People movement. In that documentary, you know how many times Calvary Chapel is mentioned? Zero. Not once is Calvary Chapel ever mentioned in this whole documentary about the Jesus People. Now, how can you do that? Because Calvary was only one small part of this. And it's a significant part today because of the staying power it had. And the staying power it had is due to the fact that it actually re rejected many of the things associated with the Jesus revolution and the Jesus movement. That's why. And, uh, and more importantly, because it actually was a real Christian movement. It's the best version of how to deal with uh, the Jesus people that we probably have as far as a mainstream uh, example or a popular example. So um, anyway, there, there's other things about the movie people have, uh, pe people who have had negative things to say have focused on. And I uh, I'll briefly mention, um, I already mentioned Lonnie Frisbee and, and the fact that his end was not maybe as good as his beginning, and, and that's a little bit, uh, let's just say that's undercovered in, in the film. I, I don't fault the film much for that. I, I just, I don't. I, I think it's it's a little bit outside the scope. Um, I Maybe it is misleading to say that his, he, he was, when he died, he was still hoping for another Jesus revolution or something. I I don't know. I don't know enough about that, but it, it seems like it's a minor thing to me. Um, the uh, th There's a quote in there that uh, you will find th that there are no guilt trips. Yeah, there's no guilt trips. I think Lonnie Frisbee says that to someone coming to the faith. Maybe it was Greg Laurie, but now, see, I've only seen this three days ago, and I'm already getting fuzzy on it, but uh, in that quote, though, that someone coming to the Lord and saying there's no guilt trips— is that true? Well, he talks about repentance in another place. So I, I'm going to take this in the best possible light, that there's no guilt trips of that the sin is going to constantly be before you, hanging over you. Jesus has taken that. And so I don't feel the need to read things in a suspicious manner. I, I'm trying to just read them straightforward, if possible. So I, I don't see some of the things that people who have said negative things about this movie have seen, um, or at least I don't agree with them necessarily on all that. Um, I think in general it's a it's a great film to go see. I think you should go see it, but just take the right lessons from it. That's that's what I would say. Take the the right lessons being God uses sinful people. That's encouraging. Uh, that in order to reach the the rebels, uh, you don't have to become like them. Chuck Smith. That's the thing. Chuck Smith didn't become like them. Yes, he changed his dress to a casual in a casual way. He uh, they changed the musical styles around a little bit. And we can debate that, whether that was good or bad or wise or whatever. 
but he didn't look like a hippie. He didn't conform to them completely. And he, uh, long term, he certainly did not uh, continue to cater to uh, the hippie culture and uh, the um, uh, some of the things that they would have wanted as anti-institutional and and pro-communal living and um, uh, certainly the more radical elements like the pro-drugs and uh, the uh, sexual views, etc. He didn't cater any of that. And here's what I want to land the plane. You have to ask yourself, if the lesson we're supposed to get from this, and I, and I disagree with this lesson, but if the lesson is we need another Jesus revolution, so first question is, what do you think the Jesus revolution was? Because it wasn't just what you saw in that movie. But if someone says that, what would it look like today, practically? What is it, who are the rebels today that need to come to the Lord? We need to share the gospel with them, and that's the main thing Chuck Smith did. That's why he was successful. That's why it's a good movie, I think, in part, too. He, he shared the message of Christianity, and, uh, he, and, and it was centered on the Bible. But who are the people today that would fit that description? Because if you go into any church, just about, it's going to be casual. It's going to be—there's nothing rebellious about— the way that Calvary Chapel was in 1972. In fact, that's tame, and that's now considered the conservative square religion, right? That's what we're rebelling against now. That's, that's the, the, uh, the revolution will always eat its own eventually, and it, because the previous iterations of it didn't go far enough. And so, so that's just standard uh, bigoted religion now. What's, what's the tr- who are the true rebels? Well, I think there's two answers to this. The first answer is the obvious one that I think most people are thinking. LGBTQ people. We got to open our doors to them. We got to do the the whole Tim Keller thing with the uh, uh, what do they call that? The um, living out audit, church audit. You know, make your church more comfortable to LGBT. Uh, do the whole revoice thing. Um, bring in some of that queer culture. And and I'm sorry, a lot of these cultural things they're not as neutral as you may think. I mean, androgyny in dress and in appearance. Uh, trying to make your you yourself sound androgynous. Those things aren't actually Christian things. Those are wrong. Those are against Christianity. And yet there's churches, there are some that want to bring in some of these things to reach out to the rebels today, the queer people. Well, that's going to—it's it, a little bit different trying to reach out to Jesus people than reaching out to queer people. Yes, both were countercultural, and, and there's an overlap there to some extent, I suppose. But the uh, Jesus people, were, at least with Chuck Smith, he was able to take some certain certain things that didn't affect the theology as much as, let's say, adopting queer culture would do. You start adopting these androgynous cultural things, you are going to land yourself in a heap of trouble. <laughs> you, you're going to compromise the very foundation that you have at your church. So uh, you can't take the same approach, uh, of, and, and there's really no accommodation you can have. Now, the accommodation is to people. It's not to LGBTQ culture, though, is what I'm trying to say, whatever that is. And I would argue that's not even really a culture. It's a style. It's a it's a false culture because in order to have a true culture, you have to have a lineage, and, and it's impossible in that particular group. So uh, I, I try to resist the terms out there when they call that it's the LGBT community or the uh, culture. The, really, it's neither of those things. Uh, it's a group of people who are in rebellion against God who've gotten together, and some of the things that they've produced aren't—they're uh, not cultural things. As much. I mean, there there could be things tracing back to legitimate you know, or authentic cultures, but it's it's more of an artificial attempt to uh, 
parrot something that exists in reality. So that's another tangent, but that those are the rebels, right, today. Well, there's another group that I think is being overlooked, and those are the people who want to be traditional. Uh, the trad husbands and wives out there who are trying to have as many kids as possible, and they want to dress formal, more formal, uh, in more formal ways. They want to listen to older styles of music, and they want to bring back hymns. And there, that is a rising group of people out there, and they've realized they've been robbed in their minds of an inheritance that they want back. And they are rebels as well. They're, they're rebels just as much, if not more, than the Jesus people were, because now that we have these casual standards, uh, you have some people who say, I want to bring back formality, and they're young. So what do you do with that? Do you now change your whole church around? Let's do the hymns and let's wear suits again, because, well, we have traditional people out there that, well, if they're a sizable enough group, do you do that? These are questions that have to be answered. What would the Jesus revolution uh, today look like if we're going to take the template of the movie and try to apply it? And I, I think we shouldn't overthink that. I think what we should do is just take what the movie, uh, the positive things from the movie that are universal directives that Jesus has given all churches, which is to go and preach the gospel, to make disciples, uh, to do it according to the Word of God and the authority of the Word of God, and, and leave it there. And that's what you do, and no matter who the person is, whether they're rebels or, or, or they're not rebels, it doesn't really matter who they are. You treat people the same because they all have the same problem and they all need the same Savior. So I think that's what Chuck Smith in general did, and I think that's the genius behind Calvary Chapel. There's no new uh, strategy session we need to have about the rebels today and what we ought to do. We just do the same thing that Christians have always been doing. And uh, so anyway, that's what I wanted to say about the Jesus Revolution movie. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope it meant something to you. I want to say something on a uh, personal note, just because many of you have reached out to me. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's good to hear from you on this. Um, I've, I've been a little more personal. I've shared some things on this podcast that I wouldn't normally. I, I mentioned uh, about a week ago that my wife and I were having a doctor's appointment, and uh, we were going to find out really where we were at with our uh, fertility issues. And uh, the it looks like what we're going to try is IUI, which is insemination, not IVF, IUI. And so uh, we're praying about it. We're moving forward with that. And I just appreciate your continued prayers for that. Thank you for asking. Some people wanted to know what the update was and how the appointment went. And that's how the appointment went. So anyway, uh, there will be more material coming this week on various subjects. There's probably a stack of stuff that I can't quite get to. I know some of you uh, in at least previous episodes of this podcast have asked questions about common grace and, and all of that. And I'm uh, I'm hoping to have somewhat of a, a live stream uh, in a few days. I'm, I'm hopefully going to be able to give you a little bit of a heads up about that, and we'll talk more about it. The last thing I wanted to say uh, is this. I am going to be, see, I'm going to pull it up on my calendar, in Georgia, out, not far from Atlanta. Well, actually, I'm two hours from Atlanta. I'm more near, I think, Columbus, Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, but I'm going to be down there on, let's see, this would be April... 13th through the 16th, I'm at a, uh, a conference, but the 16th, it ends on the 16th. That's a Sunday. And so I'm going to be in that Columbus, Georgia region on that Sunday, uh, the 16th of April. And uh, I just put it out there on Patreon, but I'll say it here as well. If uh, there's anyone out there in those areas that uh, would like pulpit supply that morning, I'm going to be available 
uh, most likely. If um, if there's anyone in the area though who uh, just ha- hold, is holding a service and I can come to the service and meet some of the people who appreciate this podcast. I'd love that. There, so one person reached out to me that um, is outside of Atlanta, like half an hour, but it, it is in the wrong direction. It's not far, but it is in the wrong direction. So um, I'm seeing if there's anyone who's uh, closer in the area and uh, I would love to meet up with people who support this podcast. So uh, anyway, I'm going to be down there in Georgia on the 16th, uh, that's particular Sunday of April, and look forward to hearing from some of you. Uh, you could drop a comment on the video, probably better if you know how to get in touch with me through private messages on various social media, whether that's Gab or Facebook, that, that's the way I'll, I'll probably see it more than anything else, uh, and, and then we can coordinate from there if uh, there is anyone in the area. God bless, more coming, bye now.